Hello and welcome to Conversations with Kath, the podcast that keeps you up to date with the daily antics of your mother, your Alma, your friend, or whatever Kath Vanderhorst is to you. So grab a glass of Harvey Bristol, put the phone on silent, and let's see what's been keeping our favourite 9 year old busy this week. And it's a very good evening to Alma Kath. How are you tonight, Alma? I'm very well, thank you, Matt. And how are you? I'm, I'm really well, thanks for asking. Um, how, how was your week down there in, in Taiwan? Did you have an oh, exciting one? On, uh, on Wednesday, my um, Filipino friend came and picked me up and we went all the way to Officer to, to visit my Italian friend. Oh, wow, you're out of the house. It was really very, very good. Fantastic. When was the last time you saw these people? Like, how, how many oh. months are we talking here? Oh, well, before my birthday. Wow, okay, that's a decent time. March. Yeah, March. Yeah, okay. March. Quite and the reunion. Anyway. Yeah, that's right. Oh, excellent. Yeah. yeah, no, it was very, very nice. It was, uh, yeah, we had a good talk and we had a nice, uh, cap- um, what's that coffee that these Italians make? Oh. Uh, like a oh. cappuccino? Oh. Not cappuccino, no, 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 it's a special coffee, but anyway, very nice it was, yeah. Oh, yeah. And we caught up with a lot of things that had happened. It was very nice. And the day after, I went to, um, did you come the day after? I was here on the Thursday. Yeah. Thursday. Yeah. No, actually, I was here, you actually went Thursday, not Wednesday, because the, oh, that's right. the, the, um, the curfew lifted on yeah. midnight, on the, Wednesday night. Yeah. Yeah, so it was Thursday. And then on Friday, I stayed home. And on Saturday, John and Jane came and they cleaned up my garden. It was a working bee. Mick and Sarah came. Sarah was on the ride-on mower and Mick was on the other mower. And you should see my yard. Looks a real picture. Looking pristine. And then on Sunday, on Sunday, Peter, Pink, um, Peter came and called in because... Um, Lewis had moved into his new home in Druen, and um, I went there, had lunch there, checked out the house. Very nice. Did they get you to and do thought, any heavy lifting? Pardon? Did they get you to do any heavy lifting? No, no, no. I just unwrapped some uh, downlights. Ah, that was <laughs> that was about the limit. <laughs> yeah, so that was nice. Yeah, and he lives at um, I think it's called Jackson. Jackson's track. Mm-hmm. Is that where the old Rafael Ranch was years ago? I'm not sure. Oh. Well, it's in Druin West. Yeah, mm. it was very nice. Right. And then they, um, they took me home. And uh, that night I went to Michael for tea. And uh, yeah, and that was the end of the weekend. Taking full advantage, good. full advantage of the, uh, the lifting restrictions almost. That's excellent. Yeah, oh, wonderful. That's excellent. Yeah. So now that you've got um, a little bit more freedom, have you got any plans for this week for catching up with any friends you haven't seen for a long time or not, not as yet? Well, no, not really. Not really. Not really. We still have got that 25 kilometre. Yeah, curfew. Yeah, curfew. Oh, okay, until, that's still in. Yeah. Until that the sense. 8th, midnight on the 8th. Yeah. It finishes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then she can, I can take her to Warrigal officially. Oh, big deal. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> the special comments you're hearing are from Wilma. Well, that's all right. So next week's podcast should be a ripper because you'll uh, it'll be past the eighth and you can go wherever you want. You can go to the gym, you can go to the 
pool. You can. I'll have to do some exercise, Matt. Yeah. I might have to give, the, you know, the the big trip that I do every day from the front door to the back gate. <laughs> I can go a bit further now. Go a bit I might further. be at the end of Railway Avenue. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Endless so. possibilities. All right, we might bring tonight's special guest in now. That's right, Matt. Tonight's guest spends his free time trying to convince others that not all Collingwood supporters are criminals. He enjoys gardening and reading catalogues. If your train is running late, then it's probably his fault. Give it up for Mr. V-Line. It's John Vanderhorst. Ah, oh, good evening all. How are we going? Good. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you very much. It's good to uh, good to see your face. Excellent. Yes, you Yours too, too Mum. And yours too, Mum, down there in the corner. <laughs> Hi, John. How are you going? Now, this is the first time you've seen Ulmer in, in quite some time. Is that right? Uh, no, I actually came up, Jane and I came up on Saturday. We um, had a little bit of a working bee in the, uh, in the garden and, and oh, spent a bit of time with Mum. So, yeah, so that was good. That was the first time in probably oh, about eight months. I guess. Oh, sorry, not eight months. Two, about about two months or something. Eight weeks. Yeah. Mm. Still a long time, isn't it? In the um, yeah, yeah, it was. Um, we, we, I mean, we spoke probably almost every week. So, um, you know, we kept in touch, but there's nothing like coming down and and uh, putting a, a face to the voice, so yeah. to speak. Absolutely. Yeah. And what about um, COVID for you, Uncle John? Because you've got a, a little grandson, Lincoln. Um, yeah. Were you able to, yeah. are they within, the, the, within your bubble? Are you able to see them over the, over the period? Um, <coughs> yeah, yes and no. Um, they're more than 5Ks away, but that, when that restriction got lifted, um, we, we do have access to, to go anytime we like. However, um, when Alana works on a Tuesday, we're the carer. So every Tuesday, um, Jane would go and pick him up about seven in the morning and we would look after him then until about five in the afternoon. So we, we did get to see him regularly uh, each week. Um, and on the odd occasion there, uh, we'd sort of stay to Atlantic, or bring him down, you know, on a Thursday and we'll have him for the afternoon. So that way she could go out and do whatever she needed to do, shopping and things like that. But other than that, I, I know like um, um, the other grandparents um, from Tim's side, they couldn't come down. They have not seen him for probably four or five months wow. uh, because of the restrictions. So the, the COVID restrictions was very restricting. And that's quite a, that's quite a long time, isn't it, for, um, for grandparents not to see their grandkids, yeah. especially when they're that young, because that's a period when you'll notice massive growth changes. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, it's hard for the, um, for the little child as well because he's not being able to mix in play groups and things like that. Mm. So, you know, and then for, for the parent, um, you know, to have him 24-7, not being able to go out. And when you do go out, you've got to wear a mask. And you can't be, you know, you've got to be social distancing. Um, it's all very hard. Well, we thought we'd um, talk to you tonight, Uncle John, about growing up in Glen Rowan um, and where your love of trains sort of, I guess, started or stemmed from. I guess I'd kick off with, when you lived in Glen Rowan, how many of the siblings of the seven was in the Glen Rowan phase? Uh, well, at, at the end, we moved in 1972, so everybody was there then. Um, 
but probably I, I probably I know Frank said that we, we interact Frank and I interacted a lot but um, probably my recollection memory is that I probably interacted more with Peter because he was a little bit older and I tend to sort of follow him a little bit um, so we, we did a lot of things together whereas my recollection with Frank is is not as good as with Peter because I can remember with Peter we did a lot of different things and uh, a lot of good things and fun things and a lot of things that mum and dad never knew about. Um, <laughs> whereas I can't remember that much with Frank. A little bit I can, but not as much as I could with Peter. So, yeah. And Frank, how, how much younger than you is Frank? Um, what, what's the age 18, gap? About mm. 18 months, I, I believe it is. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think these days, though, that um, I, I talk to Frank a lot um, these days. Um, so, yeah, maybe that's where that – and I think Robert talks to Peter a lot. Um, so maybe that's where that little bit of um, who talks to who more often sort of mm. comes in. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah, so getting back to the days of Glen Rowan, I can tell you that um, I loved it. I loved Glen Rowan in, in so far as, uh, as a child growing up. Um, the, the actual station yard was just like – it's just like our playground. It was huge and there were so many different things to do. We had, you know, we had a wheat silo up at one end of the yard and we had a, a, a ballast loading facility there um, halfway down and then we had all the DRs um, sort of lined up behind our house and and they all had, the people there all had children about our age. So, you know, we sort of played a lot with those, uh, with probably three or four of those houses and the people there. Uh, and then we had the, the good shed and then the station yard itself, um, when, when we were a, a little bit smaller, we'd, we'd sort of come out our front door and go down the steps and into the station yard. And it was on the right-hand side, it was a great big long embankment. And we used to um, carve uh, little roads into the embankment and use our matchbox cars and, you know, play in this wall sort of thing. And it was, it was quite long. So... You know, you had sort of quite a long distance of roads and little garages where you park your car and all that type of thing. Um, we sort of grew out of that at some point um, and then we were more into uh, things that are, were in the station yard that, you know, we could use as oh, tools of play, I guess you could call it, um, like the, uh, the good shed and, you know, we'd have wool in the good shed and we'd make bales up and make slides and that type of thing. We had a swing as you entered the station yard. We had a big um, tyre and a swing and you used to jump on that and quite often there'd be four people jumping on it at the same time. We had some huge pine trees, I think they were, that we used to climb up and climb right to the top. And, I mean, they were really, really tall. We could see right over the top of Glen Rowan and I can remember um, whenever... Uh, our Warmer and Opa were were coming down from Montrose. We could we could spot them before they even came into Glen Rowan. We we knew the colour of the car; it was green and white. I don't remember if it was a station wagon or not, but we could we had this terrific view and we could see them. Um, getting into more of what we did that Mum and Dad sort of didn't know a lot about. We we had this. We had this big overpass that used to cross over all the, the railway tracks at the end of the at the Melbourne end of the yard, 
Um, and, and we did some crazy things. Like I think back on it now and I think, how on earth we didn't break our ankles or basically kill ourselves. Um, we, would, we would jump off the overpass onto the, the old GY wagons, which had a tarp that was spread like that. We would jump off the overpass onto the tarp and slide off in, off the wagon and onto the grassy slope on there. Um, and we did that for quite a long time. And, and you get the static electricity shock as you did it. So that was a little bit of an extra buzz. Um, until one day when I happened to jump and the bloody tarp split and I went straight through it and knocked myself out on the steel floor of the, the carriage. <laughs> and that was the end of our days of jumping off the overpass onto the tarp. However, that wasn't the end of it. We, we also made homemade parachutes out of a plastic superphosphate bag. So that was just like a hessian bag, but made of plastic. And we would put two pieces of um, wood on each end and we'd put holes in them and we would loop the, the rope through each end. So we had four, just like a parachute. And we would jump off the overpass again onto the railway track below. And you can imagine how high that is. So that's you know fairly high, jumping onto ballast. So I'm still amazed that we didn't break our legs or break our ankles when we come down because the homemade parachutes weren't much chop. They didn't, they didn't tend to break our fall a great deal. Um, so there was, there was things like that that we, we did. Um, there are other things that we, we did. We sort of got into the wagons, like when the freight, we knew where the freight trains were going, basically, obviously because of their direction. So we would often, Peter and I would often get into these carriages and, and go from Glen Rowan to Wangaratta. Um, and then we'd, the trains would all stop at Wangaratta, of course, so we'd get out and then we'd go down to the local swimming pool for the afternoon. And then when it was time to come home, we'd um, just get a passenger train back to Glen Rowan. And, and half the time, mum and dad, they had no idea where we were. You know? The rule was be home when the street lights come on um, and where we'd been in that time, I don't think they really cared as long as we're home safe and, um, and we're home on time. So we we sort of just travel around a little bit. Um, we're always going around. If I said, "Where are you going?" Oh, around, around, around. Yes. <laughs> yes. It, it didn't pay to say too much. Um, so we had some we had some other incidents there where, um, and I still cringe to these days when I think about them. Is um, and this was more Peter tended to be a little bit accident prone on the road. We would often we'd be in bare feet. So he would be constantly stubbing his toe on the road and he'd come home with all this blood over his toes and had taken all the skin off it and looked ugly. Um, or we'd be pushing the go-kart or the billy cart or whatever we'd made and, of course, it got away and we'd fall forward. And, of course, it took all the skin off your knees and all that sort of thing and it tended to happen more with Peter than, than me and uh, thank God for that. But every time I think about it now, I sort of cringe at that because it, it felt so painful. <laughs> even just to look at. So there was little bits and pieces like that. Um, we also had, I can, I can remember too, we had a period there where um, our house at Glen Rowan got renovated. It was full of white ants. And um, there was two adults and six children and we all had to live in the good shed. Uh, now the good shed was probably somewhere around seven, seven by seven metres uh, square, I guess. Not big. And for two adults and six kids and uh, to live in there, and that would have been for, I, I can't remember the exact duration, but 
um, I would imagine it would have been at least six months because um, these these people had come and renovated their house. They were just railway workers and they would rock up uh, on a train with their own carriage as their house and the, the wagons would be taken off and they'd be shunted into a, um, a little dead-end siding that was sort of made just for this so they'd be off the main line and they would be there for months on end and there'd be um, a builder, a carpenter, plumber, electrician, wow. and they would renovate our house. Um, um, yeah, so and we had to live in this woodshed. And I, don't, I don't know where we went to the toilet or I think we had an outside shower of memory, but I can't be sure. It's been a long time ago. Maybe maybe Jenny or Wilma or Peter or Frank might remember it. Um, but, yeah, that was, uh, that was an interesting little thing I sometimes think about. Um, um. We probably use these station toilets. Yeah, that, I, was, I was talking to Mum to about it tonight, and I thought that might have been what we did there because the good shed was virtually right opposite the station. Um, but I tell you what, I reckon us guys, we just went outside and did whatever, wherever. <laughs> to be honest, yes. I bothered going to the station. Um, now, while while you, yeah. Uncle John, were getting up to all this mischief with Uncle Peter, what mm. were Bob and Frank? Were, were they a little bit? Too young to be getting doing the same thing you guys were doing, or look, they, they were probably doing their own yeah. things, perhaps not as uh far out as what we went like getting on trains and going up to Wangaratta and stuff like that. They were probably a little bit because Frank's um, Frank's about 18 months younger than I am, and we moved in '72, so I was only 12 then, so Frank would have only been probably 10, uh, Robert would be even younger, so. Um, yeah, they, they, I really can't remember a lot that I did with uh, Frank and Robert. That's the only thing. I wish I could, could remember more, but unfortunately I can't. And while, um, while you were having all this fun in the station yards, was, where was, was Olpa? Because he, he was obviously running the station, wasn't he, the station master? Yes. So he, did he have like sort of one yeah, eye on the kids or did you just get up to your own devices? And... No, we, we basically, we, we saw a lot of Dad because we, we, every time we misbehaved, we were sent to the station. So we did see quite a bit of him. So we, if mum, mum would just say, get to the station or go to your dad or just get out type thing. Um, so we'd end up going to the station, which is where we always had to go. And and dad didn't ask, what have you done this time? Or anything. He just knew that we'd done something because that's why we were there. So it was um, work as in, right, you misbehave, go and polish the signal levers with emery paper so that was uh, a length of emery paper about that long that long and it was like that to make them all shiny from on the handles that you pull back um we also had to stamp all the stationery so it would come in pads of you know it might be 500 pages of waybills or something and you had to stamp the glen rowan stamp at the top so that when the waybill was sent forward they knew where it came from so a lot of stamping um we also had to polish the office floor so it was brown lino so you had to sweep it put the polish on and then you had a a uh, polisher that polished the floors made them all nice and clean which sort of led to the um the next bit but we also had um we also had set jobs basically to do uh so because we loaded ballast out of glen rowan which is the ballast you put along the track when the uh when the gangers released them from the bottom and the ballast would fall through, it was very dusty. 
So our job before we went to school was that we had to water the ballast train. So the ballast train would be about 10 wagons and we would have to climb up on top with a great big hose and we had to run water through the two piles until it came out the bottom. So obviously if it's wet, there's no dust. So we had to do 10 wagons and we got paid a big $3 of a train, three bucks. And that took us usually two hours, two and a half hours, something like that. And that was off to school. Um, and then when we come back, um, we also had another job. We had to clean up the superphosphate. Now, the, the ballast, doing the ballast, I think Wilma did it sometimes. Yes. Uh, Peter, Peter and I, I don't think Jenny did. Um, and I don't think Frank did because probably too young. Certainly Robert wouldn't have done it. Um, with the superphosphate, that was the after-school job. That was uh, the problem with superphosphate. It was a seasonal job. So it was probably for maybe two months, three months of the year. We'd get all these wagons in and they would open the doors and there'd be a, um, an elevator that backed up to the carriage door. When you opened it, all the super went in, but obviously a lot went over the sides and onto the ground. And um, our job was to clean it up, scrape it up, get rid of all the stones and then bag it up, put it in a good shed. And we then actually sold it to a farmer. $2 a bag. <laughs> and uh, and we made a shitload out of it, to be honest. Um, so we did we did that for well, – Peter and I did it first um, for a couple of years, I think, and then then for some reason I ended up just doing it on my own. Um, Entrepreneur but I also, from a young age, John. Yeah, yeah that's, maybe that's where I got it from. Yeah, but I, I also so. did deal with the local superphosphate guy who used to um, – uh, unload the wagon straight into the um, superphosphate shed because of there for storage. Uh, and there was a lot of super in there that was up against the walls that was old and it sort of got a bit wet and was clingy. So um, he he did it, he asked me if I wanted to clean it out and I could have it. So that, that took me all of, I think, the winter months and I took out, I don't know, two or three tonne. It was quite a lot. Oh, yeah. and, uh, and then I just bagged it all up and we took it up to the good shed and, Sold it off to the farmer, uh, and then unfortunately that chap got um, he got in a lot of trouble for that. He wasn't allowed to authorise that, and uh, he got the sack. He got removed from doing it, but that was okay. I was I was happy. I was I <laughs> you were rolling in it. <laughs> I was rolling in it then. Um, so there was those sort of jobs that we had to do. We had rolled tarps. You had to roll the tarps a special way, so we had to fold them up and fold them up, and then sometimes we had to take them up to the wheat silo or move them around, put them in wagons and things like that. So we had our set jobs that we had to do, um, which we didn't mind. It was all part and parcel of growing up and, you know, probably teach to, uh, taught us a good um, lesson, life lesson in uh, you've got to work to, to do anything. Yeah. If you want to get paid, you've got to work. So I guess from there. Um, now, why did I join the railways? Well... I didn't particularly have a love for trains or anything. Um, what I had was uh, in 1976, I was doing year 11 and um, and I was only just going along. And then mum and dad were going to Holland um, to, to sort out some business there or something. And uh, they thought it'd be in my best interest if I came along. I think they thought that perhaps things might get out of hand at home. 
So they thought oh, it's probably best if I come along. So off I went. Now, I had a teacher at school that said, well, if you're going there for six weeks or whatever, uh, I'm going to give you some homework to do. So he gave me six essays that I had to write, and they were as boring as batshit. Uh, so, of course, I didn't do them. I just said, I'm not doing it, and I didn't. And when I come back, I said, I'm not going back to school either. And then Dad said, well, you have to go back because you don't have a job. What are you going to do? And I said, oh, I'll join the railways. And he said, well, no. And I apparently must have said something along the lines, well, you join the railways, why can't I? And then from there, um, I joined the railways. Dad, we went in, I, I remember the interview, I remember sitting there, and um, I became a junior station assistant at Dandenong of all places, rough as anything, Dandenong. I lasted there about two weeks and then I transferred to um, Narry Warren. Uh, and as it turned out, um, whilst I was there, um, uh, I, I, I studied in my own time all the, the um, safe working rules and regulations of operating trains, etc. Did that all in my own time, whereas most people went to um, um, class and did it there. Um, and I, because I had so much time at the station there, I just did it all there. And uh, there was a number of times there where Dad was actually the station master there. He was relieving there whilst I was there. So um, if I had any questions or anything, I, I had, you know, always had someone there that I could talk to. From there, I then, um, Dad was relieving and I thought, well, you know, this is a pretty good, interesting uh, job. You get to move around, you see lots of things, you meet lots of people. So I thought, oh, I'll, I'll, I'd like to do that. I'd like to join the relieving staff too. So um, so as soon as I turned 18 and I was, I had all my qualifications early, because you weren't allowed to have them until you were 18, um, so as soon as I turned 18, um, yeah, I got a job relieving. Uh, the other bloke was falsifying the uh, the timesheets. So they moved him off. See, corruption's in V-line. Corruption everywhere. Hasn't changed a bit. <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> we, just, we just sacked our CEO this week because of corruption. So it starts a long way back. But um, So I did that and then I, I went relieving um, uh, for the rest of the time and then and then when I got married, um, I got a letter asking me if I would consider going into train control because back then you had to have a station master's brief to become a train controller, which I did have. I've done that also. Um, and train control sort of really interested me because that was where you, when you're on the stations, when you talk to train controls, like talking to God, you know, usually they had a deep voice. And whatever they said, it was all recorded. Whatever they said, you had to do. So I thought, oh, this, this could be an interesting job. So I went and had a power. little Yeah, power. And that's what it was. You had the power. That everybody, you had to speak a certain way. Um, there was a ritual. Uh, so when somebody spoke in, like, for an example, Packenham, it was they would pick up the phone, they would listen, and if nobody was talking, they would say, Packenham? And the train controller would say, speak, Packenham. And then Packenham would tell him whatever they wanted to, and then you you finished the conversation with with finished Packenham, and that was it. And there was and you it was always to the point, clear instructions, and you were God. It just felt <laughs> good. You could tell them what to do, and it was all recorded as long as you made the right decisions and you didn't abuse the crap out of them. Um, you had the power, so I, I liked that, and I did that until. Um, until Jeff Kennett carved everything up and then uh, 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 the federal government um, 
formed um, a corporation, ARTC, and they took all, over all the, um, the uh, inter, interstate lines. So consequently, uh, two of our control rooms were handed over to ARTC. We did operate them for a little while in Melbourne, and then um, when we were started building our house at Guy's Hill, um, they told us uh, these two rooms will be closing. There'll be 17 of you out of a job. Um, so uh, decide who that's going to be amongst yourselves. And uh, and I put my hand up and said, well, I'll, I'll, I'll go up that end and, and I know I'll be redundant, but uh, at least that way I'll be paid out. And I had a lot of credit, so I didn't want um, a private company then telling me, you know, you're on holidays every five weeks and then or for five weeks and then come back for a couple of weeks and then have another five weeks off and that sort of thing. So I said, I'll go. See you later. So, so I took the redundancy. But before I, we had a, a period where um, we were winding down and they were closing rooms gradually. And um, I, I rang this chap in the, in the cars office who, um, who I've known for quite a number of years. And um, I said to him, oh, if you hear of anything, um, give us a bell. I'm, I'm heading off shortly. And he said, oh, there's a job here. So I joined the railways again. I had a week off in between and um, yeah, and I'm still there now. And um, I'm doing exactly what I did in train control, except um, I'm now um, rostering all the, the, the vehicles and all the maintenance and all that type of stuff. And I look back on my career now and I think, you know what, if I, if I was starting out, I'd do it all again. I've had such a good time. A lot of people I've met, a lot of good people, and I've loved every minute of it. And I still find it interesting now. I still look forward to going to work and, um, and just socialising because it's a laugh a minute where we are and everybody's cracking jokes and, you know, we have the TV on, we'll have our eye-back investigations on, you know, in the background so we listen to what's going on because there's a fair bit of crap going down. Um, but it's all very interesting and everybody gets along and we all sort of help each other and uh, it's all shift work. Um, so, and I, I like shift work. Um, I couldn't work just Monday to Friday, drive me nuts. So I've really enjoyed it. So whilst it's, I haven't had a passion for trains as such, but I've had a passion for working in, in a group uh, and in an environment that is always changing. Every day is different. Every disruption is different. And we manage all that. I think if you I've can really look back, look back um, at your life and if you can say that you do exactly the same thing again, then you've made some, you've made some good choices. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've, yeah, I've really enjoyed. It. I enjoyed growing up in Glen Rowan just as much as I've enjoyed working for the railways. And 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 what I like too is that they pay every fortnight on time without question. <laughs> Never have to worry about uh, are we going to get paid this week um, or anything like that. It's been very reassuring um, to know that if anything happens, we're not out of a job or we're not going to be paid or anything like that. So whilst you, you'll never be a millionaire working for the government, but at least you're looked after. Yeah. I've been happy with that. Yeah. Now, Omar, can I just ask you, while these boys were getting up to um, what they got up to in Glen Rowan, was there any point in time where you were worried about what they were doing or were you just oblivious to everything that was going on? Or? Oh, half the time I didn't know what they were doing. Right. They go in, in the morning and I said, where are you going? And they said, oh, around. <laughs> That's all they gave. Just, I didn't know. And what didn't know didn't hurt you. 
No, that's right. <laughs> yeah. As long, yeah, as, long no. as we're home by the, the, the um, street lights. Yep. Um, and we didn't that's come it. home uh, with broken arms and broken legs, which I might uh, I might just remind Wilma that you still owe us a night at the or a day at the movies. You probably don't remember this, but um, remember when we went to Keenan's that day and uh, with that great big swing and and you went down that swing and fell off and broke your leg. Oh yeah, I remember the that. Same day that the same day that Mum and Dad were going to take us to see Herbie rides again. Oh, okay. <laughs> Righto. Yeah. yeah. And we oh. didn't get to go because you broke your leg. Well, sorry, the cinemas are closed yeah. due to COVID. Oh. Well, when they open back up again, I think... Um, break your leg. When they open back up again, I think Wilma owes a couple of gold-class tickets to uh, those who missed out. <laughs> I think so. Yes, yes, I think that'd be most appropriate. Well overdue. <laughs> Well, yeah. I don't know if I can get Herbie rides again. <laughs> uh, we've probably moved on from that one, to be honest. Yeah. It'll be probably something, something more appropriate for us, our age. <laughs> yeah. Actually, there was one other thing I was going to mention. Um, I'm not sure if you remember this, Wilma, but remember when in Glen Rowan, um, probably late 60s, it would have finished, but... Remember we used to have the, the guy come around late at night to because um, we had an outside toilet. Oh, empty the can. Yeah, he used to come around and empty the can. Yes, <laughs> did you know that um, everybody had to pay for that service except for the station master? Oh, yeah, that was free. Okay. And it was worth, yeah. worth every penny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was free. Yeah, we were... Yeah, for us it was free, but for, for next door they had to pay. Oh, okay. Yeah. I never got caught sitting on the can when the guy came, but Jenny did. Really? <laughs> yeah. he, used to, he used to come in the early hours of the morning. Yeah, well, I remember you gotta she go, you gotta go. that, um, and the guy said, oh, excuse me, and he just whipped it out from under her and then put the empty can back in and went. <laughs> What a gentleman. I'm sure it was Jenny that got caught. I think I think Mum's got a story to tell here too, actually. Well, we had this toilet we never shut the door. There was a petition there, so you, you was you know, when you had to do your business it was quite private. So the door the door was never shut. And this particular day the commissioners were coming and doing an inspection. And I thought, oh, I better go, and do, go to the toilet before they get here. So I raced it there and I grabbed the door and the whole bloody door fell off. <laughs> and then I was stuck in the dunny. <laughs> I want the door handle. Yeah, no, the whole door. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> yeah, so. Oh, oh, Those, um, I'm not sure, Wilma, you, whether you'll remember this either, but remember when the commissioners came around one day and um, uh, mum and dad had to bribe four of us i think I, I can't remember if frank and robert were involved but um they were coming around i think this was after the house had been renovated and uh, uh mum and dad gave us money to go and buy a pie and a drink but we had we had to be out of the house by about 11 in the morning and we weren't allowed it back until about four in the afternoon because the commissioners were coming up and they were going to have afternoon tea at, at mum and dad's house can you remember that um no, not really. No? no yeah. I can remember because 
bloody pie and the drink was pretty scungy. I thought it could have done a little bit better than that. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Yeah, I, I tend to have a memory for those sort of things, like missing out on going to the movies and things like that. Yeah, I remember um, a few stories about that, especially, you know, the station yard and and polishing all the levers because, right. um, yeah, I was going to mention that on one of my interviews, but um, I didn't get, get to it. But, um, yeah, I remember... I'm not sure who it was, but at one stage, Dad threw keys at one of us. Oh, and, and he a plate. And a plate or something, and it smashed a window or Yeah, or that plate would have been Yeah, there. and then I don't know if it was the commissioners or somebody who came. The and work. The works people or for some inspection or other, but anyway, um, yeah, we... Uh, they said, oh, what happened here? And, of course, one of us said without thinking, oh, Dad threw the keys at us because we'd been misbehaving. And but I already <laughs> told them I felt I was trying to wash the windows and I had an accident. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It never paid the lie. This fellow was all right because he had voice himself. Yeah. Right. So. Speaking of throwing, um, Peter will remember this, but... Um, one afternoon, Peter and I were in the um, station yard near the goods shed and uh, we'd, we'd had a bit of a disagreement, which, which we tended to do every now and then. And starter guards had come up and they'd parked their car in the station yard near the goods shed and they had a brand new car. And Peter and I were, oh, no, Mum, you won't know about this, I don't think. I'm pretty sure you won't. <laughs> anyway, Peter and I were at, at war. And uh, as we do, we, we, we tended to pick up a few stones and stuff like that. And uh, Peter was hiding behind Stardegard's car. And, uh, and I was throwing stones at him. And one went straight through the back window. How it, the window was open, so it didn't actually break the window, but it actually smashed into the door handle uh, of their, on the opposite side of the car and put a big dent in it. Uh, but we didn't, we didn't, we sort of forgot about the war then. And, and we didn't tell anybody. So um, I don't know whether at some point in time starter guards would have saw this big dent in the uh, door handle and thought, what the hell? It's a brand new car. What's happened here? Um, well, that was Peter and I misbehaving. Oh, I wonder if oh, Open knew about oh. that. Uh, no, he didn't either. No. He didn't. So there are some things that were left unsaid that uh, yeah. probably yeah. need left unsaid. Well, I but, think... Uh, that's a dead now anyway, John, so you're safe. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think that secret's safe now. We can tell Mum about it. Um, Wilma, are you going to enlighten us as to what happened to the lampshed? The, the lampshed. You know, you know, we had that lampshed uh, just sort of outside the kid, outside our bedroom window, just at the end of the platform on the uh, Wangaratta end. We had a lamp, uh, an oil lampshed there where we used to fill up the signal fonts and... Um, yeah, no, I can't remember that. Uh, somehow one day it got destroyed. You know, no. You we, can't remember I, it? No, I can't remember it. You, you didn't have it into it, did you? Polished it by that? driving Peter's it into it. Oh, did I? Oh. Yes, no. well, you drove straight into it. Oh, I put that far from my mind. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, I can't remember. I tell you what. I wish I had all those signal fonts that were in there. There was probably about 30 of them. 
I wish I had of uh, souvenir to fuel them because they are worth between six and eight hundred dollars each now. Oh, wow! And that was that was about five years ago when because I've got a couple now that I've managed to pick up along the way. Uh, and when I was looking at um, at parts for them and stuff like that, I'd come across them and on eBay they were selling between six and eight hundred dollars, and that was that was probably five years ago. Yeah. And we had we had probably thirty of them in there. Mm, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Oh well. Didn't know about that. No, no, no. But we had some good times with that car driving up the street. Peter was twelve, I was ten, <laughs> I think, roughly. Driving yeah. out the station yard past the cop shop. Yeah. Wave to yeah. us. <laughs> driving right up the main street up to the wheat silo. Yeah. yeah. Say boo. Uh, uh, well, but the copper was good friends with mum and dad. Yeah, yeah always that, that helped. Yeah, <laughs> always helped. And yeah. and Wilma, do you remember? Um, you remember going down to the creek in winter time and having to clean out the um, uh, the pit from the sand that uh, where we had to do the pump with pump pump. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Bloody water was cold, wasn't it? It was freezing <laughs> in winter because it, it only we only had to do it in winter because that was when it rained and that was when all the sand washed into this pit that that uh, the water was sucked out of to supply water up to the dam in Glen Rowans, the town water. And of course, we had to go in there and uh, and scoop all the sand out. And of course, being winter, the bloody water was freezing. We'd only yeah. last about. I think I think Jenny, Peter, you, me. And I don't know whether Frank did it. I don't think Frank did. But no. uh, yeah, interesting. Hydrated. Yeah, we did. We did. Built the bloody um, well done, dam up the back. And uh, remember, were you there, Wilma, when we, we built a raft on the dam there? And we were, after a while, after it had been going a few years, and we were on the raft, and all those little water snakes were <laughs> floating across our raft. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then, vaguely, I can vaguely remember it. Yeah, we didn't do it after that. No. Uh, that was another one of our little things. And remember, uh, remember Malcolm Clark rolling the big boulder down the embankment along the um, old highway there and uh, smacked Julie in the head with this great big rock? <laughs> <laughs> Put her yeah. in the hospital. <laughs> you yeah. remember that? Uh, yeah, things I remember we got up that. To. It was, yeah, there was never a thing called safety back in those days. Nobody worried about safety or or people getting hurt. It was just full on, and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. we took it as it came. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a strange time when you. Mm. We don't do that these days because it's uh, we don't even let the kids go out onto the main road or out in the street these days. No, but back no. then you could do whatever we like whenever we like, as long as we were home by the street lights. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In bed. Time. But we yeah. all turned out right. Having said that, yeah, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, I think I think we've all turned out really, really well. We all get along, and uh, we've all got good, good jobs. We've all made what we can out of life really good. I think. Yeah, yeah. We've done something, something right. Yeah. Yes, that's right. You must have. Yeah. No, that's no, good. I uh, really enjoyed it, so 
But there's lots of other stories, but uh, we'd be going all night. So maybe <laughs> maybe we'll leave it at, uh, at lead at that, I think, I guess. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll go around again with these at some point because it does sound like there's loads of stories. And um, it sounds as if growing up as kids, you sort of had sections of life. You had the Glen Rowan days. You had some of you had the Warrigal days. Then obviously the Tynong days as well. So it'd be great to hear. Yeah. We'll keep this going as long yeah. as we can. Um, yeah. down the track so right jump into the mailbag now and this week's question comes from jason from garfield and he writes hi Alma. um why did yourself and Alpa decide to choose australia to move to out of all the other countries oh i don't really know i don't think we had much choice we wanted to go to Canada, but we were knocked back. And then we d- ended up in Australia. Yeah. So, so you applied, you had to apply, did you, for, to, to, to come across? To, to Canada, yeah, to, to yeah. go to Canada. Okay. And it was, and, and uh, where was it? Cape, Cape, was that South Africa? Cape Town. Oh, Cape, Cape Town, yeah. yeah. Because, because uh, Opa was a dairy engineer and we thought, you know, at least we can, I'm glad we didn't go there. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad we didn't go there. Yeah. And of course we didn't come out under a scheme because Opa worked, he, he'd uh, joined the army and uh, he was in Indonesia and the Dutch government paid for his, his trip. And my trip had to be paid out of my, um, my, um, my mother's share. My mother died, and of course there was four kids, and we all had a share of whatever they had. So, um, so I and in them days there was no money; it was all invested, and it was in housing. So um, the Dutch government um, decided all um, my my trip to Australia had to be paid as soon as my dad passed away, and of course in 1976. I got a big bill from the Dutch government, plus interest, paying for my trip. Oh, and that wow. was quite a bit of money. Plus interest. <laughs> plus interest, yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, there That's... you go. So did you still have to pay that? Yeah. So we had to pay that. But in the meantime, when we were living in Glenrowan, and of course I had a stepmother, in, when we were living in Glenrowan, I got a letter from my dad. He didn't write very often. And I got a letter from my dad asking me, telling me that there was two houses there um, and he wanted to pull these down, but they, they were in the name of the Hutton children. And the others had already signed. Tante Dini had signed and I presume my brother had signed. And he wanted to know, would I sign these papers so that he could pull them down and put new, new houses in there. And you've been in these houses, Matt. Yeah. It yeah. was opposite the school. Yeah, so I just, I, just, um, I just signed and it was a document and I just said, and my dad said, look, you don't have to worry about it. Whatever is yours stays yours. Well, that was the end of it. So, so you got nothing? I got nothing. Yeah, right. No. Okay. Yeah, so I got nothing. But that was all right. We didn't need it. So we were well, doing all right. right. You already, already yeah. established yourself, yeah. haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So uh, yeah. 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 There you go. Sounds like Australia was the second choice or 
the last choice, but turned out to be the best one. Yeah, it was the best one. Yeah. yeah. We've never regretted it, Matt. And we get we came. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Well, Jason, I hope that answers your question as to why Ulmer and Ulper chose Australia. All right, that just about wraps it up for this evening. Uncle John, thank you very much for your insight into Glen Rowan. It sounds like a, oh, no a great time to be alive back in uh, those days. It was a very good, yeah, it was a very good childhood uh, place to grow up in, in, in the amount of freedom we had and what we could do. And, and I look back on it today and I, I, I sort of have a bit of a chuckle every time I think of it and think, gee, what a great, what a great uh, childhood we had of growing up in a place like Glen Rowan. I uh, loved every minute of it. Fantastic. And it's been, um, yeah, it's been, been great to hear that. I never, I never really hadn't heard any of those stories before. So, yeah, thanks for sharing. No worries. Alma, thank you again for jumping on. Always great to hear. Thank you, Matt. Much appreciated. <laughs> you're doing a good job. I'm glad you're enjoying doing it every week. So we'll yeah, keep it, we'll keep it rolling. Yeah. There's, um, there's a lot in the pipeline, actually, a bit of a sneak peek. And we're going to delve... Um, into another mini series. We've got the travel mini series, but we'll start up another one soon of uh, Ulmer's sort of sections of life. The, uh, you know, the growing up as a child in, in Boxmere, into the war days, into the migrate, immigrating to Australia. So there's quite a bit of content there. So we'll um, start bringing that out soon. So, all right, mum, thanks for um, your comments as well. No worries, mate. Pleasure. And thanks for tuning into Conversations with Kath. Have a great week.